0: Welcome to the Restoration Pros Unplugged Podcast. In each episode, we're going to bring you insightful interviews and discussions with top restoration industry leaders. We're also going to delve into their business, the strategies that made them successful, and most importantly, the valuable lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Clayton James. I'm also the Chief Marketing Officer at Water Restoration Market. We're a digital marketing agency dedicated to helping restoration companies nationwide secure more high-value water jobs. Now, this show it aims to provide you with the knowledge and tools you need to excel in the restoration industry. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Restoration Pros Unplugged podcast. I am your host, Clinton James. I'm the chief marketing officer with Water Restoration Marketing. Uh, It's my pleasure today to be joined by Bobby Thomas. Bobby, thank you for joining. Oh, thanks for having me. So Bobby is the CEO of Extreme Services. They're a phenomenal restoration company located in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, You've created a multiple seven-figure restoration company. Um, but you've done it a little different than a lot of the other clients that I work with. You've done it by leveraging probably the three most polarizing wor- or letters in restoration, TPAs. Uh, everybody's got an opinion on them, uh, and I'd like for you to, uh, us to to have you share yours. Um, before we do that, though, Bobby, uh, kind of introduce yourself, your company, and kind of give us a breakdown of the services, the restoration services that you guys currently offer. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: um... I'm the CEO of, of Extreme Services. We're a, primarily a mitigation restoration company, so we don't do any reconstruction services. We primarily do water mitigation, fire mitigation, mold remediation. Uh, we also offer other services such as air duct cleaning, carpet cleaning, and things to nature's welter. That's kind of what our, our core service, you know, violence would be in, in our family. How long have you guys been in business? I've actually been in business in totality since 2011. I actually started out as a small carpet cleaning company. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of a coupon company called Groupon. I have. I got started when well, they got started. So check this out. I actually ran an ad with them uh, for carpet cleaning. Didn't even own a carpet cleaning machine. Ran at the rug doctor from Home Depot. Put it in the back of my 2000 pilot for a coupe. And that's how I got started. No. I was like, oh, man, I, have, I sold like $5,000 over coupons. I'm like, now I got to go clean these carpets.
0: No, <laughs> that's how we made it in. Well, you've come a long way since 2011. Um, how many service vehicles do you guys currently have on the team? Uh, currently, we have uh, 12. Okay. And how many water restoration jobs, specifically the water mitigation, would you guess that you guys are averaging on a monthly basis? On a monthly
1: basis? Because, you know, we operate in Birmingham and in, in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, so I want to say between the two markets, we average anywhere between uh eighty two hundred jobs every
0: single month. Awesome. Um now let's go before the Honda Civic and the carpet cleaning. Um what were you doing professionally before that
1: Believe it or not, man, I actually used to work for uh Marriott Corporation up in Washington D C. Okay. Uh, I was Kelm actually was an assistant director of Phonics for Marriott. So um, you know, having the ability to have the customer service and the ability to serve others, you know, it has served me greatly in my company because that's something that we see sometimes in restoration companies. You have just the average contractor coming to the table, but you don't necessarily have that customer service side of it, you know, to where you get that best, you know, the best touch with the customer
0: uh, being able to give the, the best presentation you possibly can make sense. Um, so you made the leap into doing carpet cleaning initially. What made you pivot and change course and start adding restoration services?
1: You know, be honest with me. When we started doing carpet cleaning, carpet cleaning was okay. But, you know, I was the struggling carpet cleaning. Uh, You know, we would do online marketing. We would get jobs in. And we even got a few commercial accounts. But I've never seemed to be able to get over the hump financially where I wanted to be with carpet cleaning. And that's when I started looking into different avenues of how can we make more money? How can we generate more revenue? How can I get into a higher ticket item job versus carbon cleaning? You know, if you're doing uh, a $300 job in a carbon cleaning, you know, that's like the holy grail. in a carbon cleaning versus in mitigation restoration, you're able to do only 2,500 to 500 is your average our damage ticket.
0: Now, um, when did you actually start doing water mitigation? Water mitigation, moved went 100% in 2018. Okay. Now, I don't know. Some states require IICRC certification. Some states do not. You operate in both Tennessee and in Alabama. Do those require uh, IICRC certification? Well, it's not necessarily the state requires them. Okay. Insurance companies
1: require it. Okay. So, regardless in what, what what state you know, if you're in Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, if you work with any major insurance carrier on a TPA program, uh, you need to have you know a WRT uh, ASD. And in some cases,
0: then you want to carry your, even AMRT certification. Okay. All right. Now, um, going from carpet cleaning now to multiple seven figures in restoration business, there's a bunch of different ways to do that, right? Um, I own an agency that focuses on digital marketing. So we help our restoration companies get in front of homeowners, business owners that have some kind of emergency water damage going on at the time. And we do that through Google, right? Running paid ads. You've taken a different approach to growing your business. And you've done it through TPAs. Um, for those of you who don't know, TPAs, third-party administrators, um, it's very polarizing. Some people think that they are a great source of business um, that really can keep their technicians busy nonstop with a good flow of, uh, of consistent work. Some folks will uh, don't look so fondly on doing that TPA work. So talk to me a little bit about your first experience getting into TPAs and why you've chosen that path as a kind of a way to, to grow and scale your business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my first TPA was with Code Blue. They're now AccuServe. Okay. Uh, my initial experience with them was what the heck did I
0: just
1: <laughs> do? Just be honest with you. Uh, you know, you can go do a water mitigation job. You know, you write the estimate. The estimate is $5,000. It goes to AccuServe and your invoice is $1,500. And you're wondering why is that invoice hundred dollars and I know we did the work. So what I did do when I first had started was AccuServe has a pricing system unique to themselves, unlike other tpas versus where, where it's just a percentage. And that my price point was not where it needed to be at. So they actually got a much larger cut of the invoice than what they should have gotten, in my opinion. So, you know, throughout, you know, the time of uh that first instance, and even my second is—I got really excited when I uh, got my first fire mitigation job. In fact, I thought I hit the man. I, I did a job, seventeen thousand dollars. Quickly became public, invoice got knocked down to seven thousand dollars.
0: Oh I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, th- these are the these are the real misconceptions. well I don't want to say misconceptions because they were accurate in this case. Right. These are some of the challenges that restoration companies face when they're trying to make the decision whether they want to go the TPA path. So for those who don't, aren't really familiar with TPAs, kind of talk about their role and what they do uh, working with, uh, with the homeowners and the insurance companies themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the TPAs, as, as you stated before, are third-party administrators. So what the TPAs do, they have relationships with the insurance carriers, whether it's Allstate, Morgan State Farm, so forth and so on. So what they do when a homeowner files a claim, they manage that that homeowner's claim from start to finish. And being in their network, what they do, they reach out to you to do, you know, mitigation services or a rebuild service. Uh, And essentially, you know, not being in that in their network, you know, you're not able to necessarily get those calls directly from insurance carriers unless you're part of a larger franchise and they have an agreement with them. So the advantage of TPAs is being able to be in their network and being a small fish in the industry, not being in a major franchise, you're able to essentially go head-to-head with with the larger names uh, and and operate on the same playing field. You know, don't get me wrong, TTAs, they've been good to me. And the thing was, was learning how to navigate their SLAs, which is service level agreements, right uh you know their uh their procedures their guidelines how to estimate how to build what you can build for what you can't build for, for how uh, for uh that was the essential part for me to be able to win at it was to
0: learn their game now was that through through trial and error or did you have specific courses or how, how did you kind of crack the code so essentially it was trial and error
1: and then going back in and reading what the insurance carriers guidelines are i was like, once you understand what their guidelines are you can you. It specifically states what you can and can't build for, and you can sit, say, "I'm doing a job." So, all right, I know I can build for this. I know I have to get approval for you know an air filtration device, or I need to get approval to remove cabinets. which is what a lot of contractors think they can do, especially going through ICRC courses. Is you know you add you know the the shell, the wood, and all that and the verbiage, and you taking your daughter right date it's a little different when you come into when it comes to the carrier. it's about working with them not looking at them as the enemy but becoming a partner with them and give them a heads up so you got to think about it if you're a customer with the insurance company and you're working with the insurance company it's just they just want to know what's going on you know so you can call whatever their hotline is i need to renew me eight linear here for the cabinets or whatever the case is it's just giving them a heads up so that they know, all right, we have to replace cabinets and they can look at their policy to make sure that the coverage limits and levels are there.
0: So there's a little bit more communication between you and the TPA than it would be if you just walked into a homeowner's house, started doing the restoration work, did an exact to estimate and send it off to the insurance company there. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how many different TPAs is extreme services part of right now? So you're a part. We're part of ActionServe,
1: Alacrity, and Lions Bridge Bridge. We've actually done all of them in the sedge. We've done contractor connection. Uh, but in my personal opinion, uh my top, you know, in in the, in the very quarter, uh number one is uh alacrity,
0: I'm Chiefs, Lions Bridge and one with be ActionServe. Okay. Serve. Um, are there any TPAs out there? We don't want to bad mouth anybody. But are there TPAs out there that a new restoration company or a restoration company getting into TPAs for the first time should probably avoid to make sure that they're maximizing their margins?
1: Well, you know what? The thing is, I wouldn't say necessarily avoid a TPA because it's hard to get on with TPAs in the first place. There are financial requirements. There's years of business requirements. So this is not an easy process. Sometimes you have to grab the low hanging fruit just to get your foot in the door yeah. if you can be eligible for a different TPA when that time comes. Essentially, that's what happened to me. When I got started, uh, I didn't have the time requirements, the financial requirements, uh, but I was able to get all of Code Blue at the time and began to build my business and also began to apply for other TPAs as my
0: financials began to grow, time of business began to grow, and that's how we began to learn. So let's talk about that because you actually have a role now with AccuServe where you help uh, vet potential restoration companies that are going to come on for TPA work. Is that, is that the right way to phrase that?
1: No, not, not necessarily. So what the uh, contractor advisory board does, essentially, uh, we're giving the feedback from the field of what it's like to be a contractor. Ah. You know, what do we what is working in the field, what's not working in the field? what are some of the best practices that we're doing that we can do to make Accuser better as a yeah Not necessarily to vet them because they have their own recruiting department, yeah. uh, but our job as the advisory board is to give AcuServe, I guess you can say uh, a, a bird's eye view of what it's like as the contractor working with them and where are our pains at and where can we fix them to make it better, not only for AcuServe, but for the contractor to build that TA a carrier
0: relationship. Okay. All right. Now, um, you mentioned that there are certain requirements a restoration company must meet before they're even eligible um, to join these TPAs. So can you walk through some of the more standard ones um, with companies like Alacrity or AccuServe? What what are the boxes that a restoration company needs to check before they go out and apply to be part of those TPAs?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first thing they're going to look for, they want to make sure that you have some sort of experience in the industry. They want to see that you have your WRT which is your water restoration certification. Um, like I said, it, it also depends on the carrier. With Alacrity, if you're gonna do State Farm, you also have to have ASD certification. If you're gonna do Liberty Control, they want your AMRT certification, which is the MOLD certification. Um, but just getting started very readily is WRT certification. Uh, you're also gonna wanna have your national lead certification. Depending on your state, you may, you may be required to get the state-led certification. Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi—I know require it. Tennessee, uh, a, a state that I'm in, they just require the National Land segregation. Uh Another thing that you will need that's very important is your general liability insurance. Most of the TPAs and carriers will require you to carry a minimum of a million in an aggregate liability, uh, and also an umbrella to mitigate the the umbrella. I would say this period about. Two to three million in general liability, pollution liability, uh, workers' comp, you know, commercial auto liability, lease. And what your baileys does? That covers if you know anything is
0: broken or stolen from a home. That's kind of where uh, the homeowner is protecting that right there. Now, when you talk about those um, insurance qualifications, there is that what you are referring to when you say the financial requirements of these? You have to be able to afford. Um, those those policies, those insurance policies, right?
1: Not necessarily. Now, when I say financial requirements, now what they're going to do, they're going to require two to three years business tax return. Okay. Balance sink, P&Ls, they want to make sure you're a real business and that you're operating. They don't want to make sure you're a fly-by-night company. They want to make sure
0: that you can operate and handle their business. There's a lot of fly-by-night restoration companies out there. There's a lot of people that see, uh, especially water mitigation, as a great way to make really good margins there. Um and that's one of the bigger things that I hear from a lot of the restoration companies that haven't had great experiences with TPAs is they just weren't able to preserve those mini margins that they were used to getting on the mitigation side. Are there any like specific best practices that you can point out to for alacrity uh, or AccuServe, things that you know that you do that allows you to really maximize those margins on on jobs?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, of course, you know, you know, we're billing an exact event, you know, each thing that you do has alignment. So I, I think I've given you an example before, a lot of restoration companies are so used to doing what they want to do. We call it throw a spaghetti at the wall and open it sticks. And in TPA world, you can't do that. It has to be a legitimate billing by item, What you're actually doing. Theoretically, you know, yeah, you can bill and put it into your estimate, but we call it flux you know, us, you know, we're an extremely ethical company, you know, we're going to put in exactly what we're doing. As far as increasing margins and, in, uh, in profitability, uh, in my personal opinion, if you're doing what you need to do, the numbers will take place and you'll get what you need on the job while putting the fluff in the job. It's just that I think so many contractors have just gotten used to being able to put so much fluff in invoices and, uh, I call it the get rich overnight <laughs> mentality. <laughs> uh, and it, it just doesn't work like that. You know, the TPAs, they provide stability. They pu- they provide master flow of work. If you do right by them, they'll do right by you. Because it's a matter of just communicating with them, requesting for certain approvals. Like I, I gave you an example before of removing cabinets. If you call a request approval for that cabinet and you give them a, a legitimate photograph of why it needs to be removed, they're not going to take you. No, know. they're going to say, absolutely, go ahead and do it. And you can bill for that versus just going in and tearing it up and do whatever you want to do in the
0: customer's hall. Okay. Um, let, let's talk about it. from a scaling standpoint um, that work that comes in from the TPA works. Once you're on, you've proven yourself, you've got a good relationship with that TPA, that's a really scalable model. I mean, it's not necessarily dependent on the ebbs and flows of digital marketing or anything else that you're doing. You're going to get a consistent flow of work coming in from that TPA to the point where a person like yourself that has multiple technicians, multiple service vehicles, you don't necessarily have to worry about keeping those guys busy consistently because you know what kind of work you're going to get for a month in and month out. Um, at what point were you able to scale from having like three or four service vehicles or was it was it getting on the multiple TPAs or kind of what was that, uh, that point where you were really uh, able to double down and, and increase the number of technicians and service vehicles that you had?
1: Yeah. I, I want to say when I was able to get on to my second TPA, um, probably around year two, uh, we actually uh, been in a position to where we were able to scale at that point. Um, we were, like I said, working in Birmingham and you know, I mean, just be an entrepreneur a business guy, you know, I, I, you know, that's another thing with TPHT. You, you can build a relationship with your territory manager or your regional field manager. You can call them and ask them questions and say, hey, you know, do you have a need for contractors in other cities? And they can tell you yes or no or where they may or may not have a need. And when I ask, you know, what does it look like in Memphis, Tennessee? They say, yeah, Memphis is a good market. They can give you an idea of how many Claytons are coming in the market, how many contractors are there. And you can make an educated decision, you know, should I open up in this market versus going in blind, like you said, versus buying on a digital marketing platform, you kind of know what you're getting into and can kind of project
0: what your revenue is going to be, uh, knowing that you're, whether you're going to succeed or not. I, I think it's um uh well I would never tell anyone not to pursue digital marketing. I have right an agency and that's what we do. Um I, I think having multiple uh, uh, sources of jobs, multiple ways that the phones are ringing for a restoration company is ideal. Um, and now that I have a better understanding and talking through talking through with you what it's like working with these TPAs, I don't think it's a bad option, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember first getting into restoration five, six years ago. Uh, a lot of the old school restoration company owners, they're, they would tell me, hey, these TPA companies, they cap everything. They really limit how much stuff you could actually bill for. Uh, and then they take a huge percentage off the top. Um, and kind of finding out that percentage could be anywhere from five percent to twelve percent, depending on the TPA. Um, is that kind of the, the the realm in which you see? Well, yeah. I mean, on average, you're
1: about five six percent on average for most TPAs. Like I said, act concerns pricing is unique to them. Um, but once you learn how to navigate their pricing, you can get their pricing closer to about you know six to five percent as well too. Okay. It's just a matter of their price assessment. It's, not, it's something that I still don't understand uh, with 100% expertise, but I know how to manipulate it to work in my
0: favor. Okay. Uh, and at the end of the day, no matter what marketing you're doing to generate you know, call flow, there's still a percentage of that job that's actually you know, being used to generate that phone call or generate that lead. So this is just a consistent flow of work. You know what you're going to get. You know what you can build. Uh, and as long as those lines of communication are really open with the TPA, you should be able to get, you know, very equal margins to any other work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. Just like you said, you get to nail on the head, you know, whether you're doing digital marketing or TPA, there's going to be an expense there to acquire a new customer. So if you get it from the TPA side or TPA side or if you want it from the digital marketing side, there's going to be some type of cost incurred there uh, to get business. You know, you know, the old saying, it takes money to make money, right? Yeah. So, you know, no, there, there's there's some type of investment that needs to be made there.
0: So a lot of the restoration company owners that I talk to are owner operators. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not only the owner of the business, but they answer the phone calls. They sometimes will go out on site visits. They'll be arguing with the Seems like you have kind of removed yourself from the day-to-day operations of your business. And now we're focused on actually growing the business from a CEO level. Can you talk a little bit about that transition that you made from being an owner-operator to now being the CEO of a very successful restoration company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people struggle with this. I did too. And be honest with you, it's solely a mindset shift because oftentimes, as an owner-operator as I once was, uh, you think that if you don't do it, it's not going to be done right. You know, you have to mentally change your mindset to able to be in a position to where you're in the peaking business and us as people, none of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. Nothing's going to be hundred percent right. And once you are able to make that shift in your mind, you really can begin to grow your company. And that I struggle with that. I mean, to be honest with you, I still struggle with it a little bit today, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's a shift that I was able to make. And if you're able to make that shift in your mindset, uh, you, you can begin to grow a company you can't do anything on your own you have to build a team uh even as a small component operator let's say for example you know you may not have the payroll um to pay a ton of people but at some point you're going to have to meet up there own fake get that person in get the get the business in to where you can train them and do that it's all about duplication you know you do it once you do it again and you do it over and over and over again. Once you understand the power of duplication and shift your mindset, uh you can really grow and become
0: a company uh versus being an owner on the Okay. Um love that. W- what's next for you, Bobby? What's uh what's on the horizon for you at Extreme Services? Well,
1: extreme, like I said, we're in uh a phase of extreme growth right now. Uh we are in the process of finalizing franchising the company. Uh, so we're going kind to of focus on that right now. We're focused on uh, finalizing the FDD and, and, and growing extreme churches as large as we possibly can right now. Uh, my personal goal is, who can we help? You know, with me being the once upon a time carpet cleaner, rug doctor, you know, can I help the next carpet cleaner, right? Who who can I reach my hand out to? Who can I pull up? You know, and, and I think a lot of franchisors uh, in the restoration space don't have the mindset. They just have the mindset of. How many franchises can I sell? My personal role is, who can I help? Who can I take under my wing? Who can I help
0: make successful? So when do you think Extreme Services will be rolling out their next couple franchises?
1: Um, we're actually scheduled to be totally
0: complete um, beginning of uh, second quarter of this year. All right. So can we get you back on second quarter of next year to talk a little bit about how you're going to be running your franchise model? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Bobby, I I really appreciate you getting on here, um, expelling some myths uh, about uh, TPAs as a way to leverage or or, or grow your business there. I I hope our our audience uh, got stuck around and and got some value out of it. Um, If you like what you heard today, please subscribe. The Restoration Pros Unplugged podcast. We'll be back with more interviews and insights from entrepreneurs, just like Bobby here, and professionals in the restoration industry. So, Bobby, again, thank you for your time. We appreciate you. You stay safe. You stay dry. You stay busy, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Pros Unplugged podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, share, and also leave us a five-star review. We'll be back with more interviews and discussions with restoration industry leaders really soon. In the meantime, if you're a restoration company looking to add more high-value water jobs, you can reach me and my team at WarRestorationMarketing.net. Again, that's WarRestorationMarketing.net. I look forward to hearing from you soon.